What's up, you jump-jacking jackalopes? I'm here. I'm I'm back. Um, is this post-show 89? I think it is. Um, judging by the title, you may or may not know, it's a different episode today. Barbenheimer exclusive. Okay? No anime, because I'm down a co-pilot. All right? Grant's not here, so if you're a Grant fan, well, pound sand. Okay? I'm what you've got to deal with. And it's me, alone in a room. I talked for 35 minutes, you know, because I've already, my past Dave already recorded the show, and now present Dave is doing the intro, but we'll get into tenses after after the show starts. Um, but yeah, Grant is just under it, man. He is just busy, okay? He's exhausted, and he said, I can't deal with the listeners anymore. I don't like them. Please handle this. And so here I am. I'm kidding. Maybe. We'll see. Um, but I saw Barbenheimer this weekend. I had to talk about it. I wanted to talk about it with Grant. But he hasn't seen them either. Because again, he's busy. He's a father. Okay? He's doing real life shit. I'm seeing movies and arguing with people on the internet. And that's how we're different. Um, so yeah, we talk Barbie and we talk Oppenheimer. But not in that order. We do Oppenheimer first, then we talk Barbie. But we do some, like, fun box office stuff first, okay? So um, none of the uh, talks, none of the reviews I give are spoilery, but they are kind of thorough. Like, I did talk for over a half hour, so I talk about my thoughts on direction, cast, performances, soundtracks, you know? Like, so, like, if you want to go in cold and not know anything about either movie, just move along, okay? But I don't spoil anything plot-related, so just buckle up okay i did my best what have you done right okay sorry i'm just i'm a little nervous this is a big deal not really okay grant see i, I don't even know if grant's gonna be able to put the intro music in he's indisposed so if there's intro music that means he hooked it up click audience. It's me. Things are a little different this week. Um, I th imagine that past David will have filled you in already. I mean, your past David, my future David self. Um, but yeah, solo episode this week. Grant is, uh, well, you probably already heard. He's indisposed, okay? He's working himself to the bone, but fear not. Um, we're going to get him some R&R this weekend. We're going to go on a vision quest of the uh, hallucinogenic variety. I'm kidding about half of that. Um, okay, so we're here, and, you know, I really didn't want to skip this week because it's Barbenheimer week, man, and I actually went. I actually saw both films. I saw Barbie on Friday, saw Oppenheimer on Saturday. If you're one of the few people who have, for some reason, not seen these movies yet, I recommend that you do, but I recommend that you do it in the opposite order that I did. Probably not the first or last time you'll hear that, but maybe do the uh, three-hour uh, nuclear epic um, that leaves you a little emotionally winded before you do the Barbie movie. Um, that is my recommendation. So... We're going to talk about both movies today. I'm going to give you kind of my overall 
impression. I'm not going to do spoilers on the plot. Kind of weird to spoil history for Oppenheimer. But I'm not going to get too deep into the actual stories of the movies. But I do want to tell you what I thought about them. And then we're going to have, you know, probably a little bit more of an in-depth conversation uh, when Grant has returned and he's had a chance to see both. But in, you know, in fairness, I don't know when that's going to be. And I don't know when we're going to work it into an episode or if they'll if they'll even be on the same episode. So I figured we'd get this out here or out there rather. Um, and I'm doing this solo. Okay. So I don't have Grant to pick up the slack when I need to cough, which is often if you're paying attention, Grant jumps in a lot when I have to, uh, you know, with like you, you rely on a co-host for these things. So if it's awkward, well, you're the one who hit play. So, you know, blame yourself. First, Let's talk about the box office. And then we'll do Oppenheimer, then we'll do Barbie in the suggested viewing order that I mentioned already. Um, I do think box office is important. Um, coming out of the pandemic, you know, we've been, quote, coming out of it for a while now, but I remember when Top Gun Maverick was in theaters, you know, the big thing was, oh, this is the movie that's gonna save cinema. And then it was like Tom Cruise's, you know, best grossing film to date, so go figure. Um, so that's valid and that's a data point, but it really does feel like this weekend was different. I can't, in recent memory, I can't think of a double bill weekend that actually really seemed to work out. You know, all of the double bill weekends I can think of, um, they usually end in one movie getting crushed while the other dominates. Like, here's a, here's a fun fact for you. Um, and I think about this a lot because it bums me out. But um, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, the David Fincher movie, right? Don't come at me with, oh, the Swedish film was better. It's not. Okay, here's the thing. Just because the Swedish film happened first and it's foreign, people are like, oh, see, look how cultured I am. I like the Swedish film better. Unfortunately, there are a few directors better than David Fincher. And when you have to make the same exact movie that he makes and people compare your two takes on the same story, like most people are going to make a lesser film. That's just the reality of the situation. But anyway, um, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, most people know it's adapted off a series of novels. Um, the reality was, who was it? Was that Rooney Mara, Daniel Craig, David Fincher? The three of them, and this like, this is like wild Daniel Craig was Bond. So you have to appreciate how rare and unlikely this is. All three of them signed contracts with the studio saying they would do all three of those movies. Like, assuming the first one did well, they would do the sequels. And, like, to get those names to be down to do those things is, like, a pretty big get. Imagine if that happened today. Um, but, of course, that movie went up against, like, I don't know, Iron Man 2 and got destroyed <laughs> or something. Um, it was like Iron Man. It was something in the MCU, and I want to say it was probably not a critical movie. Um but yeah, I feel like most things go that way. And uh, this week, that doesn't really seem to be the case. Um, everyone's kind of having their cake and, and eating it too. So let's let's talk box office real quick. Oppenheimer and Barbie, respectively. Oppenheimer was forecasted to do about 50 million domestically. It then ended up doing 80 million domestically, 174 million worldwide. Um, Barbie was estimated or forecasted to do about 110 million domestic, did 155 million domestic, 377 million worldwide. Congrats for all the dollar bills. Hope uh, Margot Robbie and Killian had a 
piece of the ticket sales, though I highly doubt they did. Though I did read somewhere that Nolan coming to Universal for this film, because he was so pissed at Warner Brothers, um, made some pretty intense demands of Universal, and they were super, super happy to have him. And I bet he got a cut of the uh, ticket sales, so congrats on more money, I guess. But no, that that is good. I think it proves that both movies are viable, and um, you don't need a franchise uh, film to be profitable these days, it appears. Here's some fun stats uh, via Variety. This is the biggest opening weekend for a film directed by a woman ever, including beating out franchise films, Captain Marvel, directed by Anna, uh, Anna Bowden, and Wonder Woman by Patty Jenkins. Definitely, definitely a vastly superior film. I mean, I don't think anyone's asking that question, but if you're curious, yes, Barbie is better than those two movies. Um, fourth biggest overall opening weekend in history. Definitely the biggest of 2023, obviously, and I don't imagine it'll be beaten. Um, but this is the first time that the weekend wasn't dominated by a franchise sequel um, to hit these numbers. So, you know, Avengers Endgame, Infinity War, Star Wars, The Force Awakens, etc. And more than 200,000 people did a same-day double feature. Probably even more than that now, but those are the most up-to-date numbers that I've got. I didn't even do a double feature. Like I said, we did Barbie Friday, Saturday, Oppenheimer. Um, okay, but then be the numbers. Let's talk about the movies. Okay, Oppenheimer, obviously directed by Nolan. Cast is absurd um killian murphy starring supported by robert downey jr emily blunt matt damon florence Pugh, and then there are just giant names that just drop into the movie like there are multiple oscar academy award winning actors that just like jump into this movie for like two scenes and then they're like peace i'm out there's actually a story and I'm not trying to like glorify the Nolanism, like I think everybody's doing that already. Everybody's very stoked on Nolan right now. But there's a story floating around that Matt Damon himself put out saying he was in couples therapy with his wife about his career, saying he works too much. And he said, I will not take any more movies unless it's Christopher Nolan. And well, here you have it. Um, Matt Damon has a solid performance. Everyone pretty much has a solid performance in this movie. I mean, a couple of the do I tell you a couple of the names that draw that jump out? Like they're in the media. They're very well known. Casey Affleck jumps into this movie briefly. Rami Malek, Gary Oldman, Josh Peck, Emma Dumont. I don't know. Lot lot of names. More than that. Um, but it's fantastic. Okay, let's let's talk about the Nolanism before we get to the performances. I think Nolan is. I don't know if he's a controversial director. I mean, he's a blockbuster director. He tends to make movies that make money. Uh, if you've been listening to this podcast, you're probably it's probably fair to say that I may sound a little contradictory because I've definitely dunked on Nolan a lot on the post show. I think a lot of that, to be fair, like I'm not reversing my stance on any of that, but a lot of the jokes that I've made at his expense that he will never hear for the record, I'm very aware of that, but I think a lot of it was, had to do with Tenant, And I don't think that's super unfounded watch tenant go to the theater like if you watch that and you could tell me that you knew what was going on and you heard half of the dialogue i just don't believe you i'm sorry i don't think nolan heard half the dialogue um 
So I think one of the bigger questions for, I know that Grant had, and a lot of people had, myself included, was, can you hear this movie? Nolan is incredibly ambitious and, I don't want to say pretentious, but he's very specific about the way he does sound and the way he does audio. Happy to say it's better in this movie. Um, you can hear most of the conversations. I'm hard at hearing, so, but I probably heard like 90% of this film. And without an exaggeration, like I'm not trying to harp on this, but seriously, I think I heard 60% of Tenet the first time I watched it. And like in a movie that is so overly complicated, and I get it, Nolan, I saw an article this week calling him Time Daddy. <laughs> um, yeah, like the guy likes his timeline stuff. He likes futzing around, mucking about with timelines. That's in this movie as well. Um, not as a plot mechanic, but more as like just, you know, the flash forward, flashback stuff. But yeah, um, the sound is incredible. I saw it in Ultra ADX, no IMAX. Um, but yeah, you can imagine there are explosions in this movie. That's not a spoiler. They sound good. Um, they didn't perforate my eardrums, but yeah, most importantly, you can hear the dialogue. So that is a plus. Um, on the direction side... I won't pawn this takeoff as my own, though it is tempting. Um, I saw an article from The Ringer, and in the headline they said, a surprisingly restrained performance by Nolan. Um, I think that is apt. I think that he goes for it. It's something that I think benefits his movies. You watch Inception, he's very clearly going for it. And I think it works until it doesn't, right? Dark Knight, it works. Like, it just works, and then eventually I think you find yourself so far up your own ass that you don't know you've gone too far until it's too late vis-a-vis Tenet. Um, so this is probably the most reserved performance or direction of a movie that I've ever seen Nolan do. To be fair, there's one or two movies of his I haven't seen, like Memento and The Following, but I don't think he's ever done a straight-up character study. And that's mostly what Oppenheimer is. I mean... It's obviously based off the movie, or off the book, American Prometheus, which I have not read. But I did see a piece of press where I think it was Damon or someone was talking about, like, I can't believe he fit all of this book and all of the important details into the movie. But then you see the movie, and it's three hours of dense dialogue. And it's like, yeah, I that's exactly how he did it. Because, like, there's very few silences in this movie other than like the really dramatic ones and the rest of it is just packed with history and exposition and character building stuff like it, it really does work as like a character movie but like all the history that you have to get in on and all the cooks that were in that kitchen like he really does try and cram it all in there I saw him talking about how he didn't really want to do a composite character um if you're not familiar, a really good example, and I forget her name, of course, was there's a female scientist lead in that Chernobyl series on HBO, and she doesn't exist in real life. She was a composite character because she's the representation of, like, 20 scientists that actually existed. But, like, trying to put all 20 of them in there would break the show, right? It, it wouldn't work. Nolan intentionally said he wanted to avoid that. So, you know... It may be, I think audiences will struggle a little bit and being like, okay, which guy is this? But I think, you know, it's mostly fine. Like, I think the big names 
you will recognize. Um, obviously, Robert Downey Jr. as Strauss or Strauss is like an incredibly important figure, but that's all pretty obvious, even in the style the film is shot in. If you've seen the trailers or any press for this movie, it's pretty obvious that everything from Oppenheimer's point of view is in color and everything from Strauss slash Downey's point of view is in black and white. Um, I didn't really know it was such a tale of two people going in. And I'm kind of glad that they did it this way. But yeah, I, don't, I think a lot of people, myself included, are probably they're probably going into this movie being like, okay, like it's not a war movie, but it's war adjacent, right? Like, presumably we're going to see the bomb go off. I mean, that's all everybody talks about, right? The Trinity test, the first atomic bomb detonated in New Mexico, all that. I mean, I think they, they talk about that a lot in the press, but I think one decision, and I'm giving you a mild spoiler warning here, so brace yourself for the next 30 seconds if you want zero spoilers, but I think one decision that is incredibly interesting and I think is ultimately a benefit to Oppenheimer is like they don't show you the war. They reference it. Oppenheimer references the camps that they find. They reference things that are happening, the timeline, Hitler's livelihood or lack thereof. Like it's referenced, but like there's no like, we don't cut to the allies fighting the Nazis. Like there's none of that. There's no cut to Japan to watch things happen. Like it's pretty, you're in the room with Oppenheimer and that's it or Strauss. And that's, that's the movie. And it's three hours of that, of building. And how do we get from here to there? And you know, the beginnings of Oppenheimer's career to the end. I knew a lot about world, about him, about World War II stuff in general, I'm pretty keen on, but how, how his story kind of ends I did not know. I did not know a lot of the Strauss stuff. And I think that that is like a huge benefit. So I don't know. I think it's a great adaptation if you think about the book that I did not read. But I know that it centers around their conflict in Oppenheimer's life and how all that goes. So yeah. Um, score, I have to mention. Ludwig Gorenson, forgive me for the pronunciation. Thought it was like Hans Zimmer the way it felt. I know there was something between him and Nolan, but I can't remember. Um, but the score reminded me the most of... Um, Dunkirk in terms of Nolan movies. I don't know if there's an actual song in Oppenheimer. Like, I don't know if there's a song with vocals, you know, or like a, you know what I mean? Like a needle drop in the whole movie. I think like just virtually everything is piano and strings getting faster and faster, building tension, releasing it. He is kind of a master at that at this point. I feel like Dunkirk was probably a pretty great exercise for that, but yeah. Um, Killian Murphy, it's obviously his movie. Is it Oscar contender worthy? Probably. If you go back and listen to one of the post shows, good luck sifting through those. We did like a little analysis or there was one day in the newsfeed where I mentioned like people that take parts of actors that take parts of real life people win, like statistically, they win more Oscars than people representing fictional characters. I think it's like, Maybe the Academy or maybe the average viewer is more impressed with the ability to imitate someone's mannerisms and likeness and whatnot. Um, there are a couple lines in this movie, you can probably think of them, I won't say them, but 
that I, I genuinely did not know, like, did they drop an audio snippet from real Oppenheimer or was that Killian Murphy? Because it, it's indistinguishable. What he also did to his body, you know, losing all that weight, looking pretty emaciated, surviving on uh, supposedly cigarettes and martinis. I believe it. He looks worn in this movie. Definitely his career best, probably will get a nomination. Um, Emily Blunt, for me, like, I think that's a tough role that they gave her, and I can't really give much away without spoiling much, but I think she surprised me. Matt Damon is kind of, like, he's good in the movie, but he's kind of the exposition piece. I think, like, this is the, a, a, quote, problem we've talked about in Nolan movies before is, like, sometimes his characters are more, like, talking exposition um, objects than they are people. Um, Damon had, I don't know, I, I'm kind of mixed on that, but I think, like, ultimately everyone did well. I just don't know if Damon's character was great. The big one is probably Robert Downey Jr. for me. I mean, not big, but, like, it's just good to see him in a, quote, movie movie after 10 years of Iron Man. There's a lot of talk about him potentially getting a supporting uh, Academy Award nomination for this movie. I was at dinner with uh, Sam and a friend after this movie, and they both said, oh, I don't know about that. And I have to be honest, I think he probably gets the nom. Um, I reminded them and I remind the audience that Brad Pitt won for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And he's kind of displaying like the straight man in that movie. Like obviously until the end, like where shit goes awry and crazy. But like that's true for all Tarantino movies. And he won an Oscar for that. You got to think about like, yeah, I don't know. What is an Oscar worthy performance? But yeah, this is the best performance Downey has had in a decade easily. He has one or two key scenes that he's flexing more of his acting chops than he did uh, in a decade as Iron Man. And I'm not shitting on that. I watched all of those movies. I loved it. I thought Civil War and obviously Infinity War and Endgame in particular were like highs. How could they not be for him? But uh, yeah, obviously very iconic, but just different kinds of movies. I don't think I've got anything else. Um... Visual effects, lack thereof, you know, famously Nolan keeps saying there's not a single CG shot in the whole movie. Some of the stuff, I don't know how they did. Um, he has talked about it at length, ad nauseum, how do you do some of the particle effects that they do? I have no idea. But it's impressive. Um, the Trinity test scene, I'm not going to spoil anything. I, I'm just going to say it hits. You know, all the stuff that you want that is important, that is non-negotiable in the telling of this story... Um, I think it, it hits everything that you need. I think they really, really pull it off. Um, the ending of this movie, like there, there aren't a lot of movies where you walk out and it's packed. And I don't go to a lot of packed theaters, mind you. But we walked out and it was like silent. Like I heard a couple of people being like, yeah, that was fantastic or whatever. But like a lot of people around me were just like, whew, that was something. Emotionally winded. I think that's the best way I can put it. Um, and, you know, like, you should be. Like, I, I think that there are going to be people who see the trailer for this movie or the poster or they hear what it's about. And they're going to be like, oh, I don't want to go to get bummed out. But it's like, give me a break. Like, I know this sounds like marketing speak because they kept fucking saying it during the marketing campaign for this movie. That Nolan may have been the most important person to live in humanity. But, like, that's not a stretch. Like, it's just not. Think about the world pre and post 
the bomb (laughs) or just watch the movie like it's just not that complicated he he probably is one of those important people to live in history so yeah watch the fucking movie what do you want um this movie is exactly three hours i had to pee twice um because i'm a monster and uh i have the child or i have the bladder of a child give me a break but um three hours is honestly about right you know you can't really say that about a lot of three hour movies but i thought about it a lot i don't know where you're trimming the fat in this movie i just don't um it takes about that long to tell the story and i think that's probably fair okay off to more positive shores let's talk barbie um barbie directed by greta gerwig starring margot robbie ryan gosling this is a fantastic movie i recommend you see it I consider it to be a absolute triumph. I think a year ago or two or whatever, um, you hear that there's going to be a Barbie movie. And I think it's just question marks. It's like, what? What is it going to be? Who is it for? Why is it? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I think it's such a risk making this movie. Um... And I think Greta Gerwig is the perfect director for the job. I, I, I really, I just, I don't know. Maybe it's a testament that I'm not maybe as uh, cultured or maybe just like my filmography isn't that good that I can't name another director that could have done what Greta Gerwig did. So maybe I'll like, I'll take that on the chin. But, you know, like one of the headlines I read at the beginning of the podcast, you know, um, biggest opening weekend ever for, for for a female director beating out you know patty jenkins and anna Bowden. like i'm sorry but patty jenkins is not making this movie like it's just not happening um greta gerwig is fucking legit as it turns out and i think um we've known that for a while i think this is like hopefully a really big moment i mean she's been nominated for oscars already i don't think she needs she's not like a young act young director who needs a breakout movie but this is just i think a really really big achievement um stunning art direction set design costume design makeup ish but but more um they somehow made this movie look plastic but not cheap i don't know what they did i'm very curious about like the behind the scenes stuff like it's obviously shot on green screen and soundstage and plastic sets but like it's meant to look that way and it's funny and it works, but it also is immersive. You also believe it. Like, I don't know. I haven't seen something like this before or not something that I can think about. Um, but the way the movie is styled is like incredibly impressive. Um, and, you know, the intro to the whole movie is super fun. Like the movie all around is just a fucking blast. Um, that's why, again, you should see it after you see Oppenheimer, um, pretty star studded, um, Margot Robbie, Ryan Gosling, I mentioned that, but like some big, really fun, uh, names, um, Will Ferrell, Kate McKinnon, Michael Sarah, Simu Liu, America Ferreira, um, more that I won't spoil or reveal, but yeah, some fun cameos, etc. Unbelievable soundtrack. Um, you know, I mentioned before Oppenheimer didn't have like a single song song in it like no needle drops the soundtrack for barbie is absurd it's absurdly strong you can look up the spotify playlist but it's got like lizzo dua lipa Nicki minaj sam smith billy eilish 
many, many more hip, hip, um, <laughs> artists that zoomers will be aware of that I don't know. Um, but yeah, like the, the, um, what are they? It's a bop. There are many bops. In fact, oh my God, there's a song reveal that I won't spoil. There's a song sequence in this movie that is like one of the best on-screen music performances because it's great, but also fucking hilarious. It's one of the best like music pieces I've seen in a movie in the last like decade. I can't really think of anything funnier in recent memory. Um, speaking of which, Ryan Gosling, <laughs> his his performance um, is unreal. Like he is so loose in this movie. He also does some singing. That's not a spoiler. Um, Sam didn't think that he did, but I was like, no, no, remember he did for La La Land. And I think the difference with La La Land is that he did it live. Like they did all of their singing on set, mic'd up. So they, and they used that for that movie. This is definitely not the case for Barbie. He definitely had help in the studio and all that. But like, dude, it's, it's him singing and it works. And that's what matters. Um, yeah, Ryan Gosling puts in maybe his funniest or at least his funnest performance that I've seen in his career. He's obviously done funny movies and had, we've seen him quote like loose and having fun on set in movies like The Nice Guys and, uh, obviously Crazy, Crazy Stupid Love, but like, I, I've never seen him like this and it, and it's fucking hilarious. I think maybe that brings me to Margot Robbie, who I think has the hardest job in the movie. I was talking to Sam about this, and I think that there are movies that, and of course I can't fucking think of any, but there are movies that are kind of your typical 90 minute, two hour movies that like, the job of the protagonist is to carry the movie, like carry it forward. You're the captain of the ship, you have to steer it in the right direction and you have to get the plot out, right? The whole plot of the movie revolves around Barbie and it revolves around Mar uh, Margot Robbie's character and like the challenges therein, right? And I'm not gonna spoil the actual plot of the movie because I will say one of the best parts about this movie that you hear people ask is what is it about? Because it's not immediately clear um, when you watch the trailers, which are another thing I'll get into, but... Um, Margot Robbie lands it. She like lands the plane. Very solid performance. Um, but I think like you can see that her job is more like to do the movie and to get the movie from start to finish. Um, and sometimes in movies like that, the supporting cast gets to have more fun and like go for it a lot more. If you want like a I remember Grant was talking about this when we watched uh, No Way Home. Was it No Way Home? It was the third Spider-Man Holland movie. And Andrew Garfield, spoiler alert, Andrew Garfield comes back for that Spider-Man movie. And he's loose as fuck. That dude is so clearly having fun in that movie because, like, his time as Spider-Man and all the scrutiny and all the absurd, insane criticism he got for that Like, it's over. Now he's just back for, like, a victory lap. You can feel that from people in the Barbie movie. Ryan Gosling in particular, like I said, is having a fucking blast. Kate McKinnon steals every scene that she's in. She is the funniest part of this movie. It is unbelievable to, unbelievable to me that she's not in more movies. She fucking crushes. Um, 
yeah, I, she's one of the funniest people, actors working right now. I think she's unreal. Will Ferrell does like his Will Ferrell thing. He's in the trailers. They use him enough. I was glad about that. Um, yeah, sometimes you think like they're just gonna bring in Will Ferrell. He'll do his Will Ferrell thing and then like send him on his way. Um, Simu Liu is good. Um, Michael Sarah I could have done with more of. What's happening? Like, what's he doing? Like, what is Michael Sarah up to? You know what I mean? I don't. Like, why is he not in bigger movies? Isn't there that movie that he's like redoing a sequel to that weird movie? I don't know, but he should be in. He should be in more. Um, he does really well in this movie, and also, I don't know. Something's going on with his face, and I don't know if it's in this movie. Or if I don't know if it's in life, but his face is peculiar. See the movie and you'll know what I'm talking about. Something with his eyes has changed and it's distressing. Um, okay, I'm a little all over the place. What have, you, what have we covered here? Direction, art direction, soundtrack, performances. I don't know if I did enough on direction. I just, yeah, Greta Gerwig is the person for this job. This is a very hard movie to make. She fucking killed it. Um... What are some things I can say without spoiling it too much? Like, um, I think if you watch the first trailer for Barbie or any of the trailers, they're probably a pretty good advert for what you're getting yourself into. Like the first teaser trailer was a, it was like a complete um, shot for shot remake of Stanley Kubrick's 2001 intro, but with Barbie. And I think like that will appropriately set your expectations. And then the rest of the marketing for the movie is like, if you love Barbie, this movie's for you. If you hate Barbie, this movie's for you. I think they're not afraid of the subject matter. They lean into it really hard. If you want to consider it fun for the whole family, call it that kind of thing, I would agree. There were tod not toddlers, but very young kids at, the, at our showing and also older people. Um, it is PG-13 after all. I, we talked about that after the movie. Like, would you take your kids to this? Like an 11-year-old? Not being a parent, I don't know. I think 11 would be close, but I know, but there were definitely 11 year olds there. So I don't know. I think like a lot of parents and it'd be great to have Grant here for that. Like there are a lot of movies that kids watch and they just miss half that stuff, half the inappropriate borderline stuff. And it's for the parents and they're all laughing, right? So maybe that's what this is. Um, you know, there are a lot of kind of important, powerful themes, empowering ones in this movie. Obviously, there's a lot on Barbie and what that kind of did to the collective cultural feminist movement, um, whether it was positive or not. Like, they get into all of that, and I think that you want them to, right? Like, it's, again, it's Greta Gerwig, and she's doing a Barbie movie. Like, she's not going to not tackle that. So they do, and I think they do it well. Um, and I don't think... I know that some people have somehow managed um, to get offended by some of the stuff in this movie. I don't know how. Like, you're going to see a Barbie movie, and I really do think this is as good as it gets, and I'm really glad that it crushed. Um, yeah, great marketing for the movie. Like they had, it felt like they had, like, a collaboration with everybody. And, it, and it's gonna... They've made their money back already, worldwide, when you look at it that way. So, yeah. Um... Do I have any nitpicks? Only two or three, and they're all small. Um, <laughs> there is very clearly, and I'm sure this is an ad, I haven't checked to confirm, but I'm willing to bet <laughs> that there is um, some kind of like Chevy blazer 
like Chevrolet, the car company, Chevy Blazer, the their EV that they're making, they they have to have some marketing dollars tied to that because they find a way to work in dozens of shots on the new Chevy Blazer, and it's beautiful, beautiful blue coat of paint. Um, so much so that I was irritated by it. But you know what I mean? You got to pay the bill somehow, so can't hold that against them. Um, movie's about an hour 50. I thought good length, but I felt like you could have trimmed 10 minutes or so, maybe 15. But I only say that, and this is maybe my biggest nitpick against the movie, um, but it's also a Barbie movie that's PG-13 and like, you know what I mean? I felt like some of the main plot, which you don't know of because you haven't seen the movie, and I'm not going to give away, oh, sorry, thunder, um, is a little pain by numbers. Like, towards the end, it's like, I get it kind of thing. We're sending a good, I don't know, I can't really get into it without spoiling much, so I'll just say I thought, like, that last third or the third act is a little like, okay, we are we took the risk with this movie and we've done a lot of really fun, creative things. And now we're like getting back to like the studio formula, but it's a giant piece of franchise IP. What do you want? I think that makes sense. I think the movie is more creative than it is formulaic, uh, more risk taking than it is paint by numbers. So I said they were nitpicks and that's exactly what they are. Again, to reiterate, this movie is a triumph. So is Oppenheimer. See that first, then Barbie. But my recommendation is, to be clear, to see them both. Movies need to win, especially non-franchise, giant movies like this. I hope neither of them have a sequel. <laughs> wonder what Oppenheimer's would be like. Um, let's not go down that road. But yeah, um, highly recommend it. I hope you enjoyed listening to this. I did my best without my co-pilot, okay? It's 35 minutes talking alone to yourself with my cat, gazing at me. What do you want? What do you want from me? In the words of Adam Lambert. Okay, um, shouts out to the comic book shop on Bank. Thanks for your continued support. Follow us on Instagram at Part Time Otaku Podcast. I don't know what else to say because Grant usually helps me carry the load here. So I think he, I usually say, Grant, say the thing. And then he says, bye, guys. And then I say, cheers.